Uh, The second Bible reading for tonight comes from Revelations chapter 7. Yep, and we're reading from verses 9 to 17 on most of the Pew Bibles. This will be on page 1291. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is a great Bible passage. Um, It's well worth memorising. But that's not the one I'm going to speak on tonight. I'm actually speaking on Psalm 2. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to flip back to Psalm number 2. And we're going to look at this psalm. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and the fact that we have it in a language that we can understand. But Father, even though we can read, we need your Spirit's help. Please help us to grasp the the excellence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the brilliance of his rule, and all that you've done for us through him. So help us now by your spirit to understand this psalm better. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible has one simple message. God rules. That's it. From Genesis to Revelation, God rules. Well, that's the end of the sermon. That's it. That's all I've got to say tonight. And that's all the Bible's got to say when you think about it. God rules. So where are you going to be on the final day? Are you going to be on God's side and what God's done in Christ? Or are you going to try and foolishly oppose him? Everything that God wants to happen comes to pass. There are no terms and conditions, no exceptions. All of God's plans come to pass simply because God is God. And if all of God's plans couldn't come to pass, well, when you think about it, God's not God at that point. He's not completely in charge. But many people don't like this message that says that God is in charge, that he rules. They either ignore it or they think they can rebel against God and somehow they can be the exception that they can get away with rebelling against God. But it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work at all. It might seem in this life that they can get away with rebelling against God, But in the end, in the life to come, it'll be quite clear, the Bible says, 
that that was the most foolish choice you could ever make in all of your life. And it's a sign of God's kindness that he lets us know that he rules so that we might submit to his rule. Uh, But it's not just individuals that do that, it's also nations. So look at Psalm 2, please. Look at the opening lines. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Or to put it another way, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time rebelling against God? It's pointless. That's, That's the tone that's here. It's an exercise in futility. But again, there are nations that don't read their history books. They think, we can oppose God, we can get away with it. But they don't. They don't. So can you oppose God and get away with it? Well, ask yourself this question. Where are the great kings and queens and generals and prime ministers and dictators and thinkers and leaders and economists and politicians from history? Where are they now? They're all dead. With the exception of Jesus Christ, they're all dead. God has brought their lives, their rule, to an abrupt halt uh, through death. And that's the story of the Bible from beginning to end. There's only one kingdom that will last, only one kingdom that will succeed, and that's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this psalm here says, wake up. Wake up to the great reality of life, that Jesus Christ is king. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid, because one day, You'll stand before God and he'll be judge and you will know on that day that it was foolish to oppose him. Uh, now, when nations sometimes think, well, to submit to Christ, to submit to God is actually slavery. Look at verse 3 in the psalm. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Now, now some governments do that. They think, right, let's try and get rid of Christianity. Let's outlaw it, let's ban it, let's persecute the Christians and so on, or place restrictions on them. But it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, as we'll see in a moment. And then there are people that try and do it as individuals. And again, it doesn't work to oppose God. Look at verse 3. You'll notice there, back at verse 3, there's some interesting words. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. And you might think, now, where have I heard that before? The Tower of Babel? Wasn't that the attitude there? Let's let come, let's build ourselves a tower towards heaven. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's be in charge. That's what they wanted. And it's the human-centred attitude that says, let's get rid of God. Let's be in charge of everything. In Sydney at the moment, the, the musical Les Miserables is ending its, its run after umpteen months. And at the end of Act 1, there's a brilliant song, if you know the musical at all, uh, One More Day, One Day More. And there's that line, Every man will be a king. And, and that's the essence of sin. Every man, woman and child, their own king or their own queen. Because sin says, I want to be in charge, I don't want God to be in charge. It's all about human independence. But the psalm tells us, that you can't rebel against God and get away with it. In fact, the Bible tells us that to rebel against God is the greatest crime ever. The greatest crime imaginable because you're rebelling against your creator. Think about our nation. Over the last 20 years in Australia, there's been a rise of a a very vocal voice in Australia that says, "Let's, let's get rid of Christianity. Let's try and suppress Christianity. Let's try and keep its voice down in the public square. And if you say you're a Christian, sorry, 
you've got no right to say anything at all because you, you're a religious person, your opinion doesn't count. So I'm sorry, you can't help. There are even people in our society today who would say, let's stop using the word God. Let's almost ban the word from any public discussion. And you think, hang on, that's Psalm 2. That's this attitude that says, let's get rid of God. Let's break, off, let's break our fetters. Let's rebel against him. And it hasn't made Australia a better country. There's a growing people, a group of people in Australia that are saying Australia will be a better country if there was no Christianity, if there was no religion. We somehow all, all get on better together. But in my 57 years of life in Australia and 40 as a Christian, in my 57 years, I don't think Australian life has improved at all. I don't want to go back to the white picket fences of the 1960s when I grew up, but people had a better attitude towards each other. Australia was a more harmonious place. People listened to each other and they disagreed. But at the moment we've got the rise of this, this voice that says, no, you cannot think certain things. You cannot say that homosexual practice is wrong. You cannot say that sex before marriage is wrong. We had books banned in New South Wales in our high schools, in our scripture earlier this year. And what did the books advocate? They advocated that sex before marriage was wrong. And what were people saying? Oh, that's harmful. You can't tell young people that. That will actually, that will stunt their thinking and their personal development. Which is a really crazy world, uh, a crazy thing to make up in this world. But it's funny. Even though people in society might say, let's get rid of God, let's break off his, let's, let's break his chains. Every now and then, there are voices that remind us that there's a God there. Every now and then in, in the news of Wales, sometimes there's a tragedy of some sort of shooting, some sort of incident. Uh, when the, the Lint Cafe siege took place in Sydney last year, it was funny. The number of public figures that came out and said, our thoughts and prayers uh, are, are with those that have been affected by this. And you think, hang on, where did, the, where did that sort of language come from? Our prayers. Hang on, you're people that say that there is no God, but, but deep down in our hearts... God has set eternity in our hearts so that when we strike difficult times, we go back to him. We know that that's where truth is. We know that's where meaning is found, despite the things that we might say. So how does God respond to this opposition that goes on around him? He, he laughs. Please look at, uh, at verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. To think you, you can uh, oppose God and get away with it is foolish. It just doesn't succeed. It doesn't work out in the end. And rebellion like this stirs up God's anger. Look at verse 5. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Again, opposition to God is no small matter. It's the most serious thing in the world. Uh, God laughs at the people that oppose him. He laughs at the Richard Dawkins of this world. He laughs at the people that want to try and mock him. And, and, and dismiss him. God is not threatened by his opponents. What does God do in response? He carries out his plans. That's what he does. And no one's going to stop him. You see, every Christmas, it's like a giant advertisement reminding us that God's plans come to pass. It's an annual reminder of these things. The psalm puts it this way in verse 6. I have installed my king in, on Zion, my holy hill. And God is saying here, you can plot and scheme all you want. 
You can try and think of ways to get rid of me or to dismiss me. But Jesus will rule the world. That's the news. That's the story for today. It's all you need to know. And every Christmas we remember that God sent his son into this world and that reminds us that God is a God who does intervene, who does send a saviour. Remember the words of Jesus right at the end of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, but all authority. And that's why he then says, therefore go. It's because he has all authority. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one that holds the world together. He's the one that rules the world. And even though we can't see him ruling right now with our eyes, the Bible says he is in charge. That he is working out his purposes. And all his return will do one day is reveal the fact that he does rule in this world. That he is in charge. So knowing that Jesus is king, what's the wisest person, a thing, a thing a person can do? Look at verse 12, please, in Psalm 2. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In the ancient world, one way to show that you submitted to the ruler was just to kiss him on the cheek. And you only had one choice. You either kissed him or you were put to death. There was no correspondence entered into. That was it. You either submitted or you were put to death. Opposition was not an option. It wasn't a democracy in the ancient world and neither is God's rule. It's not a democracy either. Uh, People can't treat God like they treat a politician. You sometimes see people saying things like, you know, if there's a God, when I stand before him one day, I'm going to ask him a few questions. He's got a lot to answer for, but they won't do that. No, they will cower in fear because of his power. Remember Jesus and the disciples on the boat? You know, he's asleep and the wind and the waves come up and they're terrified of the wind and the waves and they wake him and Jesus stills the wind and the waves and they're no longer scared of the wind and the waves, they're scared of Jesus because of the power that he's got. And they say, what sort of man is this? Who is this? When people stand before God, they will cower in fear unless they know Jesus. Because he is in charge. One day every person will see that Jesus is Lord. One day, as we sang, every knee will bow and confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. And some of those knees, they will, our knees, they will bow in joy. But there will be other knees that will bow, not with joy, but out of the fact that they can't deny the truth. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he rules, even though throughout their whole life they rebelled against him and didn't want him to rule. You see, God doesn't negotiate with rebels. He doesn't adjust his plans to fit in with them. He doesn't sit down and dialogue and say, you know, how can we work this out? No. He says here in this psalm, if you won't submit to the son, then you'll be punished. Look at verse 9, please. Or I think it's verse 7. I keep getting this mixed up. Uh, You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash into pieces 
like pottery. In the ancient world, when, in Egypt, when a new king was made, was crowned, they'd get a clay pot and they'd write the names of the surrounding nations in the wet clay, they'd let it dry, then the king would take that clay pot and he'd smash it on the ground. And it was a symbolic way of saying, this is what we'll do to the surrounding nations. And, and that's the background here. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. His rule is absolute and he will have his way with the nations. So notice what it says here again. Uh, God, says, God says to his son, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. The nations of the world belong to King Jesus. They might think that they're in charge, but no. Psalm 2 says they actually belong to Jesus. He has all authority in this world and he rules. And how does it happen? How do the nations get to hear about Jesus? How do they get to hear about this inheritance? It happens when you and I go out and tell people about Jesus. Whether it be here in Surrey Hills in Melbourne or whether it be if you go to a country like India. That's how people get to hear about Jesus. Us going out. That's how the, the inheritance is, is spread. This cannot fail. Because as I said, Jesus said, I will build my church. Now I might build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Over the centuries, the churches have faced, churches face terrible problems sometimes. But it's still growing. It's still growing and it's still going. There have been many attempts to try and stamp it out, but each of them has, succeed, has failed and not succeeded. Let me tell you th- three brief stories. First of all, Joseph Stalin. Stalin was the leader of communist Russia for many, many years and uh, he did what he could to stop the spread of the gospel. He made life very difficult for a number of Christians. But in the 1930s, the Japanese invaded Korea and a number of Koreans fled from, um, from Korea and they went into Russia and they started to settle down. But they settled in an area that was, as World War II was approaching, was becoming very sensitive uh, for Stalin because that was an area where they made some of their munitions. And so he moved quite a few of these Koreans to different parts and he moved some of them to an area where the Uzbeks were. Now the Uzbeks for many, many years were Muslims. They resisted any attempts to try and share the gospel with them. They just rebuffed all attempts. But Stalin sent these Koreans in. These Koreans settled in the community. They became part of the community life. But what Stalin didn't know was that amongst these Koreans were a number of strong Christians. And then suddenly revival broke out amongst these Koreans. And suddenly Muslim Uzbeks became Christians because of the spread of the gospel. And in 1990, for the first time ever, there were open-air Christian gatherings in that part of the world where before it was impossible. Joseph Stalin didn't know it, but God actually used him to spread the gospel amongst the Uzbeks. But then there's China. Uh, 1953, uh, the the communist government expels all the Christian missionaries uh, from China. And it's thought at the time there were probably three million Roman Catholic Christians and one million Protestants. And as the missionaries left China, they thought to themselves, what will become of our young, fledgling church? What will happen to it? Well, the following years were very hard. There was torture, imprisonment, beatings, persecutions and so on, destruction of many buildings, the Bible was banned and so on and so on. The Communist Party did all that it could. 
and it's thought up to half a million Christians died in this wave. But in the late 20th century, as China began to open up, it became clear that the church had survived. In 2010, it's estimated, it was estimated there were more than 58 million Protestants and 9 million Roman Catholics. And many experts now believe that if the current trends continue, that eventually the church will be stronger than the Communist Party. Mao Zedong would be horrified. Stalin couldn't get rid of the church. Mao Zedong couldn't get rid of the church. The church continues to grow. Let me finish with the third story. It actually involves you and me because we go to the people around us with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We have the amazing privilege of telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing privilege when you think about it. That's an awesome privilege. We get to represent the King of Kings, that God rules. Remember how Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And he turns, he calls on people just like me 40 years ago. Stop your rebellion. Stop your rebellion and come and submit to me and know blessings not just from this life, but forever. And friends, that's something that I think we take for granted. We take for granted that we have this privilege that right now in Australia there's still an open door to be able to declare the gospel. In our schools, I know there are problems, in our universities and in the wider community as well. And here's the great thing that the psalm tells us. Because Jesus is in charge, because he's king, this mission cannot fail. And that's where that Revelation reading is so, so crucial. Because we're told there that before God on the final day is a great multitude that no one could count. Let that sink in. That no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language. We might think today that the church is rather weak and unimpressive. I hope you've seen in some of the stats tonight that it's not that way. That the church is actually growing. Yes, there's been some huge changes taking place in, in, in Western society. But if God hadn't given us this verse like from Revelation 7, we might be tempted to think that the church would not be very big in heaven. But we're told here that no one could count. So don't be fooled by where we stand in time. God has written the history, he was writing the history for China, for Russia. But right now he's also writing the history in Australia. And you and I, we get to be part of that. And again, that's an enormous privilege because God is going to take the things that we do as individuals and as a congregation and he's going to use them for the good of the gospel here in Australia. And there will be times when it will be hard. Very, very hard. Psalm 126 verse 5 says this, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. So let's pray. Let's pray that through you and through me, God will do great things so that people everywhere will come to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And will this mission succeed? Psalm 2 says yes, because Christ is king in all things. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for the sure and certain knowledge that all of your purposes will be achieved.
because Christ is King. Father, please forgive us for the times when we've doubted that, when we've been fooled by appearances, when we've thought that things should be somehow easier for us. Uh, Forgive us for the times when we have failed to take advantage of the opportunities that stand before us, uh, the open doors in our society. Father, please give us the courage, the boldness, the words that we need that we might take advantage of the opportunities that you've given to us. That we might be people who, who help to write the history of the growth of the gospel here in Australia. Uh, that we as individuals might stand and declare that Jesus is Lord, that he is King, that he is returning. So Father, embolden us. Make us bold as we go back to to work tomorrow, to uni or to wherever we find ourselves. And please use us there that people might come to know of Christ through us. And we pray this in the strong and precious name of Jesus. Amen.